Fall Line by Michael Garron, Episode 27, The Specter of AIDS. One night after I got back from Peace Corps, my brother Bill and I were sitting around having a couple of beers. He mentioned a woman he was spending a lot of time with, and I asked if they had anything serious going on. He said, oh no, it's nothing like that. And I said, given how attractive I thought she was, he must be either blind or gay. Bill responded, yep, I'm that. I was pretty sure he wasn't blind, so I realized he was telling me he was gay. He was my best friend, and yet somehow I'd never thought about his sexual orientation. He said he'd kept it to himself because it upset a lot of people. I assured him his secret was safe with me. Only it wasn't, because I'm notoriously bad at keeping secrets. So I almost immediately began causing him pain and embarrassment. He was good about dealing with all the problems my big mouth created. Suffice it to say he didn't remain in the closet long once he'd shared in confidence with me. I apologize for that. Then within a decade, he let me know that he'd tested positive for HIV. In those early days, AIDS was a death sentence. For newly infected and on treatment today, it's more of a chronic condition. But 37 million people have died from it, and a million more are still dying every year. Every minute of every day, two people die from AIDS. Back when Bill got infected, people knew the primary pathway was same-sex sex. Discrimination and stigma became the norm. They still are, but to a somewhat lesser extent. Without hope of survival, many of those who suspected they might be infected decided not to find out. Brother Bill was one of those. By the time he got tested, Bill had full-blown AIDS. His doctor told him he only had two years to live. The closest my Asperger's syndrome has ever allowed me to get to empathy was on his 40th birthday in New York. I met him at a high-end cocktail lounge he frequented. I had on one of my three-year-old daughter's fake diamond stud earrings as a joke. You asshole, he blurted as soon as he saw me. You know I've been wanting one of those, and so you had to get one first. I let him stew in it for a while, then I pulled the paste-on earring off. A few martinis later, I watched as a tattoo parlor artist put a hole through Bill's lower ear. The guy said Bill had bought both earrings, and he'd be happy to pierce my ear for free. At that moment, it seemed like a pretty good idea. I hardly noticed Bill's blood on the needle, but there was hell to pay when Nancy found out. We checked the internet and found out that she was right about a shared needle as a viable pathway. She cut me off from unprotected sex until I tested clean for HIV. That night I realized for the first time what Bill's death sentence meant to him. I felt tears run down my cheeks, but then it probably wasn't empathy. It was probably more likely I was crying for myself. It's now been 30 years since the doctor told Bill he had two more years to live. His partner Bob died of AIDS 20 years ago. But Bill is in the tiny group they call those longest surviving with AIDS. He remains hale and hearty to this day. But back to where I began. I arrived in Tanzania determined not to make the same bad entry errors I'd made in Madagascar. I still demurred when offered trailing spouse work at the embassy, but I explained I had other gainful employment in mind. In truth, I didn't, but I knew better than to say I wanted to sit at home and write. Now, with my writing not going well... I determined to turn my white lie into truth. After M&G, I featured myself as something of an entrepreneur. I also thought I might like to teach. So I went up to the University of Dar es Salaam and found the Center for Entrepreneurial Development. It was in the business school. I left the director a copy of my resume, along with a note saying that I'd love to chat. The office scheduled me an appointment with the director for Tuesday, November 2, 2004. People who knew him warned me that the director was a radical socialist. 
He'd studied at the knee of the great teacher, Tanzania's first president, Julius Nereri. They went on to say that he had no love for Americans. When we met, I began to say I had first-hand experience in building a successful business. I said I thought I could help students with their assignments to develop business plans. I also said I had experience with angel investor clubs. I wanted to engage local high-net-worth individuals in a fast-pitch forum. The idea was that we'd have monthly breakfasts and entrepreneurs would pitch their plans. The angels would decide if any were worth investment. I told him I'd participated in such a forum in the U.S. He greeted my offer with open skepticism. Partway into the discussion, I said I felt compelled to take a brief detour. I said I was very disappointed with the morning's news. America had doubled down on our previous mistake by re-electing George W. Bush. I ended by apologizing. I said, a wise man once said the U.S. elections are far too important to the world to be left to the Americans alone. He looked shocked. Then he demanded, do you have any idea who said that? To which I replied, of course, the great Malimu, which is Tanzanian for teacher, Julius Nereri. The director reached his hand across the table and said, you're hired.